This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode number 33, and it is Wednesday, July 14th, 2010. I am Paul Fox, and joining me as always is my friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. We're back. We're back. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm good, Paul. How about you? I'm good. I am had a nice vacation, a nice visit with the family, did a bunch of shopping, watched a bunch of movies, and but it's good to be back. You know, it's one of those things you get on vacation, and after a while, you're just kind of itching to get home and and you know get back to a normal semblance of life so yeah what's the what's the thing that you missed the most about hong kong paul uh except of course the obvious you know uh people you know yeah you know it's just others and all that just you know see sort of being in my own place and you know being able to hang out and do the things i want to do i mean uh yeah i love visiting my family but you know there are things that i can't do there because i don't have my stuff i don't have my I don't have access to my library or my computer or the games I want to play or the movies I want to watch. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of being you know it's kind of like being disjointed a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do got. I, it's nice to get out of Hong Kong and to get back stateside and um, you know celebrate with them. We had for Fourth of July holiday, so had a little bit of an American style BBQ, which is uh, quite different from Hong Kong style barbecues. Um, not too many people I know in Hong Kong do the American style barbecue, the American way of barbecuing. So it's good to get back and eat some of the food that I can't really get over there, over here. Um, gives me a chance to sort of get back in touch with those things that I miss. You know, there's not too much. You can pretty much get anything in Hong Kong, but, um, I don't know. It's just nice to, nice to get back there for a little bit. Oh, well, I'm sure everyone uh, is glad that you're back. I mean, do you when you go back? Is are there things that you look to do, or are there things that you miss being over here that you can't really easily get access to? Honestly, my family always asks me if I want anything from the states, but I can never really think of anything because, like you said, anything that I really need, I, material-wise, I I have here. I guess what I miss in America is the rest of my DVD collection. Of course, I mean the family. Seeing the family is nice. Eating a nice home cooked meal is nice. But um, yeah, I guess it's gotten to a point where I'm so accustomed. Hong Kong is so convenient that when it comes to material things, you don't really get anything here. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, this is the show where we talk about movies from Hong Kong to Hollywood and a lot of stuff in between. So, let's get into our show and talk about a little bit of news. So, for our news segment this week, um, since we're just back after a little bit of a hiatus, uh, not a whole whole lot of news that we're going to talk about because we're going to have a sort of a double episode of focusing on some of the films that we uh, have come over in the past couple weeks that we didn't have a chance to review while I was away. But one little bit of news that we think is worth mentioning is that uh, there's this Kozo guy over on this uh, website. What's it called? Something, something. He's something about him film. liking certain movies or yeah, something. Is it like, um, you know, uh, passionate about uh, Chinese film or, or infatuation with uh, Taiwanese cinema? Whoa, I can't, <laughs> what is the name of that? Yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to get back today to people yeah, on that. Well, anyway... 
I think the I think the web URL is something like lovehkfilm.com or something. Right, yeah. right. Well, I was on vacation, as we were just mentioning, and you know, I was popping over, checking out some of the sites that I usually go to, and I went over to that site, and what do I see? But it's signs saying we're closed. Now, Kevin, you have a blog that you sometimes update that's affiliated with that site. So what's up? What's the deal there? Well, um, Kozo has been taking a very uh, much-needed, uh, much-deserved break. Uh, as anyone can see, as fans, I guess, can see that uh, he's been quite diligent in updating the, uh, the website in the last, oh, eight years. So um, I think it's, it's time for, for Boss Kozo to take a little break, and I think he really deserves it. So uh, it's going to be... Um, the blog's being updated, and of course, Kozo is still on his Twitter because uh, I sit next to him at work, so I see him doing going on Twitter. Um, that's gonna be key, that's gonna be updated, and uh, Kozo is still out and about watching movies, and is still bringing his trusty notepads with him. But um, just that for now, um, he's taking a little break from writing. And so this but, is uh, this isn't gonna be a permanent closing. This is just sort of like a a hiatus or a uh, sabbatical. As... Oh no no just a just a just a short hiatus I believe um, until you know he gets his groove back as a, so to speak yeah so so this isn't like um, hot summer days though we're not going to see him out you know uh, on the street doing uh, odd jobs and things like Jackie Chung was right well, at least he won't be topless oh <laughs> we hope. What <laughs> <laughs> can only hope? All right well if you're listening Kozo. Uh, Know that you are missed, and I'm sure there are many listeners out there who appreciate the site and the writing that you do, so we do look forward to your return. But until then, uh, rest up and uh, take some much-needed and well-deserved time off. For other news that we want to talk about this week, I think, uh, Kevin, you want to talk about some new video releases on the horizon? Yeah, um, as uh, I guess people who follow us know that I work at um, a little retailing site um, that sells videos and music. And uh, having a lot of releases means we're busy. So um, we're ha I'm happy to say that we've been very busy last week because um, a couple of major Hong Kong releases are rolling out. Um, in chronological order, we have Love in a Puff coming out in a few, in tomorrow actually. Uh, that's Pan Ho Chern's uh, romantic comedy starring Miriam Yeun and Sean Yu. Uh, that's one of my favorite Hong Kong films this year so far, and I think it will stay on that list. Um, then the week after, we'll have Gallants. Uh, that was just announced today. That will be coming out on the 20th. Unfortunately, no Blu-ray has been announced yet, but um, if you can't wait to watch this film, and that's pretty much the attitude you should have because it's a great film. Sorry, uh, I, I just want to jump in. Um, I, thought I, I thought I saw a... Twitter post today saying that there there was going to be a Blu-ray for Gallants. Yes, um, someone on the video forum today uh, said that he called the distributor and they said there will be a Blu-ray out, but um, we haven't really received anything official. So, so there's no official uh, release date? or No official release date, but apparently it will be out on the same day as the DVD. But uh, until we have official information from the distributors, uh, I'm just going to say... The DVD is coming out, and that's something highly recommended by me. And uh, Paul, I believe you enjoyed the film as well, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, so this is a very recommended title, uh, also a top 10 list material. Then the, a few days later, on the, I believe on 23rd, 
we will have um, the movie that Paul just mentioned, Hot Summer Days, which will feature Kozo. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant Nick C. Uh, topless. Uh, actually, many people sweating and things like that. Very fun movie. Um, definitely a good summer film to watch. Um, I have fun with it, although I wouldn't say it's a great film, but it's a very fun film and also uh, highly recommended from me. So a very big release week coming out uh, in Hong Kong. Um, and there are more good films to come. So um, try and get these films first before the next wave rolls out. All right. And uh, some of the films that, because we haven't been able to cover everything that's been coming out, uh, we have missed a couple films. And hopefully as more and more of these start to hit DVD and Blu-ray, we will come back and uh, talk about some of them that we think have some good features and some good value. So something to look forward to in future episodes. All right, let's move on to our East Screen section for this week. We've got two films that we're going to be talking about that actually Kevin is going to be talking about because as I have been away, I have missed quite a few of the local films that have been released in the past couple of weeks. So, Kevin, which two films are you going to talk about for us this week? Uh, this week, I'm... Oh, first of all, I have been kind of rusty because uh, I haven't recorded the last couple of weeks, so uh, please... I uh, hope you can tolerate the stuttering. Uh, it's like riding coming. a bike, my friend, riding a bike. Exactly. Okay, hope so. Uh, okay, so two films I'm talking about this week is uh, Flirting Scholar 2 and uh, La Comedy Humane. Uh, first, uh, we're going to start off with Flirting Scholar 2. Um, the original Flirting Scholar starring Stephen Chow, um, that's actually one of those Stephen Chow films. And I guess that's this applies to a lot of Stephen Chow films in the 90s, that when it comes on TV, you just watch it you know it's very easy to watch it's very funny um and it also has a great cast um and yeah it's one of those really enjoyable steven chow films that you can always one of the watch few again and again films and again. that uh, actually gong lee starred in that wasn't a you know tragic drama yeah 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 uh depends on for whom um for the cockroach, yeah, <laughs> no, uh, for yeah, it's a very funny film. Um, uh, again, has a lot of the mole tao humor and things like that. Um, and yeah, Gong Li is very good and a relatively good cast for a Stephen Chow film, of course, uh, his usual. But um, director Li Dick Chi, um, over almost twenty years later, fifteen years later, he decided to uh, come back and make Flirting Scholar Two, and I'm sure audiences all around China wish he hadn't. Um, this is a prequel to actually the first film, uh, which is why there's a younger cast except for uh, Nat Chen, and I'll go into that later. Um, this time replacing Stephen Chow, which is kind of a joke because there's really no replacing Stephen Chow, is uh, Huan Xiaoming, uh, who was last seen in Ip Man 2 and is um, one of the biggest up-and-coming actors um, in mainland China right now. Um, this is not the first time he's played the role. Um, Flirting Scholar is based on a classic, I think, Cantonese opera um, about kind of the four, four um, 
choice. What's the word I'm looking for? Like four intellectuals, I guess, of his time. And the main, the main, um, the main character um, in this story is um, Huang Huang Bo Fu. So this is not the first time Huang uh, Huang Xiao Ming uh, in, has been the Huang Bo Fu role. I think he played it in a television series um, uh, as a younger younger Huang Bo Fu. And um, he's playing the role again here, except uh, the style here um, is very much, again, the, the Stephen Chow kind of mole tao style. And I think he's uh, very miscast, but uh, again, more of that later. Um, so the story goes like this, is that uh, young Hombo Fudas, before him and his three friends have become famous um, for what they do. Um, so this is um, them in their younger days, and Huang Bo Fu is still a, a scholar. Um, so his mother wanted him to be the imperial scholar, which I guess uh, where he goes to Beijing and take a test and becomes like the nation. It's like a nationwide honor roll thing. And to get him on that, she sends him to a school in a, in a monastery. So uh, his three friends follow him along. And um, after a day or so, he, he, he's managed to escape this monastery, which turns out to be a scam run by uh, evil monks. Um, so while he's roaming around and the whole film is him roaming around and his friends starting up trouble and in the middle, he, he falls in love with, um, girl name, crap. He falls in love with a girl. <laughs> but Played her name's by, not uh, crap, right? Oh, no, not crap. <laughs> um, this because this name is important because it kind of becomes kind of an important point that, um, I won't spoil here, but anyway, uh, she's played by Zhang King Chu. Uh, who you might have seen in Protégé and Night in Fog. Uh, so she plays the kind of the lead actress here uh, who it could be um, working with the evil monks in uh, scamming the townspeople. So the whole film is uh, him and his friends uh, foiling the, ski, the scam um, and, and uh, the romantic subplot is Huang Bo Fu and his relationship with this girl. Um... And that is pretty much all there is to speak of for the plot because uh, director Li Lek Chi thinks that he was the one that was uh, that he was the one that made the first film a success, not Stephen Chow. So it ends up repeating a lot of these the same jokes that from that period, um, both from the original uh, Flirting Scholar film, um, the for example the the cockroach um, joke. Uh, the song about uh, making chicken wings and things like that. Except with the wrong actors, they, they fall flat. They just seem very desperate to get a cheap laugh. And um, none of it really works. Um, I'm not sure if this is because um, these actors are speaking Mandarin. Of course, it's a, a film that's targeted for China. So everyone is speaking Mandarin on set. While um, the Hong Kong version is dubbed in Cantonese. And not very well, if I may add. Um, so when the two main actors are speaking Mandarin, they're trying to deliver their verbal gags in Mandarin, and it just doesn't come off as natural in Cantonese. Uh, I'm not sure why this is a problem here, because um, Gong Li in Flirting Scholar 1 obviously spoke Mandarin as well, but uh, I suspect that might be because uh, Stephen Chow was the man who made the film work. So without Stephen Chow, Li Lik Chi is throwing all these old recycled jokes, and none of it really works. Uh, and you can't really blame the actors here because I'm sure Huang Xiaoming and Zhang Jingchu, um, you know, these big names, they're just doing it to, to one, I guess, try out uh, a comedy, uh, which is certainly an admirable 
uh, effort and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a legitimate intention, but the problem is that they're misdirected. Um, they really do try their best. Uh, I wouldn't say that Huang Xiaoming is bad in a row. He really, um, he really does try to make people laugh and he, he does seem to have a comic talent, just not in this genre. Zhang Jingchu, this, she's so good that she seems like she's in a much better movie than everyone else. Hmm. Um, isn't, Rich, isn't uh, Nat Chan in the film? Yes, Nat yeah. Chan actually plays the same character as he did in Flirting yeah, Scarlet he, 1. He was in the first film, but it's, he's like a grandfather now. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, But this it's, is a prequel, so it's kind of weird, right? Yeah, it's very strange. And of course, he's pulling off the same character here. He's doing the same stuff. But again, it's... it's because without without Stephen Chow, without a, a star like Stephen Chow play off of, when you, you know, it, it just doesn't work the same way. He has this extended um, uh, joke where he's doing the whole naked thing. Because in, in, in the first film, he kind of plays the, you know, the friend that always gets you in trouble by, you know, owing money everywhere and always uh, doing stupid things. And he plays that again here, except, you know, he's like 60. And it's just not as funny anymore. And it's just kind of a, a little sad, honestly. Um of course, some people were in the audience were amused. Uh, I think uh, there was someone behind me that was laughing. But um, the the jokes it just keeps trying so hard to make people laugh that it, it's just kind of exhausting, especially when you're not laughing and the film just keeps going and going. Um, so, but, you know, I mean, the cast, cast-wise, there's one actor that, really makes it work and this is the guy that's everywhere and he makes every role work and I and I bet you he'll be winning some kind of Love H, Love H.A. Film Award next year and that is Fan Siu Wong, Louis Fan. Louis Fan plays the bad guy here and uh, he he puts on this, you know, Jack Sparrow looking um, uh, 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 makeup and the hair towards the end of the film and, you know, he's doing the over-the-top villain thing and, you know, um, he always makes these comedic uh, supporting roles work, and I just saw him in uh, uh, Beauty on Duty yesterday, and he and he again he makes the role work. So um, I think Louis Fan may be the most underrated comedic actor in Hong Kong since Lam Suet. I don't know if you agree with me, Paul. I don't know if you've seen Louis Fan enough comedies to yeah, to well, agree. I mean, I think uh, our Blu-ray special two weeks ago, we were talking about uh, Future X Cops, and I certainly got a laugh out of his role there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, unintentional he, or not, I mean, I don't know. Well, he was unintentional in Future X Cops, and I think he's pretty intentional here. But um, of course, Louis Fan is not leading man material, sadly. And um, honestly, I feel sorry for any actor who has who had to be in Stephen Chow's shoes. And um, you know, and as I wrote on my Twitter before the release of the film, Huang Xiaoming was complaining at these test screenings or promotional screenings that a lot of um, that he worked very hard to come up with a lot of um, jokes, a lot of uh, comedic scenes, but they all got cut out. So you know, apparently this, this is a somewhat troubled production, and and it seems like you know the the result, the the, the film that came out of it is some kind of attempt to rescue what they shot. So. I, I don't know whose fault um, the the failure of this film um, really should, who's at fault for this. Um, but nevertheless, F- Flirting Scholar 2 is not a good film. It is not a funny film. Um, and instead of, you know, really just ha- giving, putting full hate on it, you end up kind of feeling sorry for anyone involved in it. And all I can say is that if anything comes out of it is that I hope its crew and its cast got paid really well. 
because apparently this movie costs uh, actually quite quite a bit. Uh, I've heard uh, 65 million RMB, which is double the budget of On His Majesty's Secret Service. So, mm. um, yeah, Flirting Scholar 2, uh, this is my contender for one of the worst films of the year already. Alright, so then the second film, uh, much better comedy, thank god. It's uh, La Comedy Humane. Um, this is directed Kai and um, Janet Chun, who last made, I believe, La Lingerie. Um, now, La Lingerie, for me, I, I didn't really enjoy La Lingerie that much. Um, of course, Paul does that, the stuffy factor. So uh, I'm sure yeah. you, you got something out of the film. There's a whole lot of bias on my part. <laughs> at least, at least for one of the stories, uh, some of some of the other stories, and I could have, you could have just chucked out the window. But yeah, now, did, you, did you think that um, La Lingerie was a funny film? There were parts of it that were funny. Um, you know, it's I, I re I really like the chemistry between um, Steffi and Ronald. Um, yes, their their yeah. chemistry. That's a pairing that tends to work for me. But some of the other stories, you know, because it was sort of an anthology thing. Some of the other stories that were in that, I just didn't care for. Yeah, for some reason, now that I look back in hindsight, I didn't really see La Lingerie as a straight up comedy. Um, it, it's a it's a comical, I guess, observation at life um, or something like that. But um, La Comedy Humane is is a straight up comedy. It's a very high concept uh, comedy. It stars uh, Chapman Toe and Wong Cho Nam. Uh, Wong Ch- uh, Chapman Toe here plays uh, an assassin from mainland China who gets lost upon his arrival and is taken in by um Wan Cho Nam who is a uh, aspiring scriptwriter. Um for for first half of the film um uh Chairman the Chairman To assassin character he's he's trying to kill the Wan Cho Nam character except uh Wan Cho Nam is just too nice and there are certain things that stop them then the, and, and somehow they develop some kind of friendship. Um so that's really the main focus of the film. However, then the story um, kind of jumps back and forth between the woman in these people's, uh, these two men's lives. Uh, for Wong Cho Lam, it is his um, psychosis ex-girlfriend played by Fiona Sit, who is um, very good here. Um, not as good as Breakup Club, but uh, still very good here uh, in a kind of a comedic over-the-top role. Uh, meanwhile, the Chapman To Assassin character meets uh, a young... Uh, pregnant girl played by Kama Lo, who was last seen in Poker King. Yes, I believe that was uh, actually Chanting Guy and Janet Chun's last film. Um, so there's not really much of a consistent story because it's a very simple story. Um, it's just about how these two men um, develop a friendship. And then, of course, you got the, the cliches about the, the killer having to grow a heart. Um, they start setting in. Uh, and in the end, it becomes whether this Chapman Toe assassin, this assassin character can have normal relationships or not. But um, as I mentioned, the focus here is not the story. It's a very conceptual film. And the charm really comes from the, the interactions between the Chapman Toe character and the Wan Cho Lam character. Because um, Chapman Toe here, um, playing a mainlander, trying to speak Cantonese. So it's a very strong... Uh, Mandarin accent and his Cantonese, and that's really the highlight of the film. Um, maybe it's because um, I'm I'm also a can- native Cantonese speaker who 
um, in the last year or so has been forced to kind of make this major transition to speaking more Mandarin. So, you know, I can recognize where the accent is from, and that's really it's consistently funny. There's nothing he doesn't really do especially funny about with it, but it's just the way that he he says certain Cantonese words in the Mandarin accent is is just consistently funny to watch and consistently funny to listen to. Well, um, so um, if I can, I because I, I haven't seen the film yet, but uh-huh. I get two senses from it. One, uh, there, there, it seems to remind me somewhat, having watched the trailer, of um, "You Shoot, I Shoot." Mm-hmm. Uh, in in a sense, because you have this relationship between a killer, and he, he was he wasn't a screenwriter. He was a he, he was a sort of a wannabe indie film wannabe director. director. Right. And, you know, the two of them get this working relationship relationship going on. And then the other thing that kind of gives me pause is um, Moonlight in Tokyo, which, you know, starts out in as a, as a comedy, but then, you know, does this you know, like 180 degree reverse. It kicks your heart to the curb at a certain point. I don't want to give too much away if you haven't seen that film. But I mean... It, is this, you said this was sort of a straight up comedy. Is it does it remain that consistent throughout, or is this something that you know tries to take a turn like uh, Moonlight in Tokyo did? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't take a take as much of a big turn as Moonlight in Tokyo. Um, yeah, I definitely see the um, the resemblance between uh, this film and and You Should I Should because uh, it's also about filmmaking in a way, but it's also this assassin story. But I could say that. Um, this film is a lot more conceptual in that it puts in cinematic references instead of really talking about cinema. Um, it's it's it par- at points it parodies uh, films like uh, Assembly um, by Feng Shui, the war film by Wang Xiaogang, uh, Feng Xiaogang. Uh, also uh, parodies um, John Woo, of course, but just being an assassin's movie. Um, and then in the end, it kind of takes. Um, this postmodernist turn and, and talks about the nature of cinema itself. Um, that's why I keep saying the word conceptual because it's a lot more about the ideas rather than the story. And then um, that's, that's really kind of when the film fails that when it does try to tell a story, um, it drags whenever the focus moves away from the main pair because that's really where the high concept comes from. Is this the script writer who, who's in the film and also this assassin is really in the film and they're talking to each other in film references. Uh, that's, that's really the funny part. But then it try to tell a story about the relationship uh, that these two people have. And then it just kind of dragged because then it's not as funny anymore because Wong Cho Lam is trying to be funny while you have um, Fiona Sid who is not a comedian and, and, and who is, you know, the, 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 the relationship between them has certain emotional uh, weight to it. And, and, and at points it is quite funny to watch, but it's just not as good as, you know, between Chapman Toe and Wan Sho Lam. And it's even worse uh, for the Chapman Toe and Kamalo Lo story because Kamalo is obviously not as good actress as Chapman Toe. And, and all the really, the comedy is really based the the whole weight goes to Chairman Toe and he really has to try hard to be funny. So um those those diversions uh kind of drag the film and they don't really move the main plot along. Uh so so you know I hate to say it but yeah this film could have used less story. And um even more rare is this film could have used more Chairman Toe and Wancho Nam together. 
Um, but back to the whole conceptual and uh, the the film reference thing. This is a very warning film for uh, film fans. Uh, um, not only because there's a scene where the two speak in film titles that just goes on and on and on, but it's very 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 funny. Um, but also because, um, like I said earlier, references constantly references different films. Uh, the screening I went to in Mongkok was full of um, young audiences, uh, very young people. I think I felt like I was one of the oldest in the in the in the, in the auditorium. Um, but anyway, the, the the directors were doing the the John Woo parody, and it seemed like me and my companions were the only one that understood it. Uh, no one else was laughing. Only the three of us were laughing at 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 the at the stuff they're parodying. So um, this is kind of a film that's especially rewarding for film lovers. Um, and also, as I mentioned, that it becomes a sort of a film that's about the cinematic form. What what is cinema to us? And it uses this cliche of an assassin, uh, the killer story, which I guess is the most used cliche in in a, in an action film uh, in, in Hong Kong. It uses this cliche to to talk about cinema. Um, but it, it's all kind of too abstract and it's too much, too much concepts, too much philosophy and, and the meaning that they, they attempt at just sort of gets lost at the audience. Um, but nevertheless, um, I still had a lot of fun in this movie. It's a very special film. I think it's, um, a very local film in its humor and use of Cantonese humor and, and local references. And, um, I think this is a comedy that I would definitely, um, recommend to Hong Kong film fans. Now, was it you that was Twittering um, at one point? You said you had a chance to go see it, and uh, I guess Chapman Toe was at the cinema? Yes, I have to give a special shout-out to the cast The cast of the film. Um, both uh, Wong Chou Lam and Chapman Toe have been working very, very hard um, since opening weekend. I think even the weekend before the opening is that um they've been going around town um and and promoting the film very hard and i think chapman toe and Wang cho lam went to 40 different showings of the film over the opening weekend they just kept going to one theater after another and showing up at the end of the show and thanking the audiences for supporting hong kong films that shows really how passionate they are about this film and how how proud the work they're doing uh as far as i as far as i heard uh, i know is that Chairman Toe was still going to theaters yesterday. Sadly, he didn't show up at the end of the show I went to. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a very, very good attempt uh, effort by the by the cast and crew um, to try and really push this film out. Because I, I think if they didn't uh, put this much effort, I think this film would, would have gotten lost easily in the in the in the summer summer season. Yeah, that's you know, that's just classy and in in more geeky terms, awesome that they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and and like like Chairman Toe has been saying, this is really a Hong Kong film. Um, this is a movie that will never get into China. Um, so really, it really depends on the growth in Hong Kong to make its money back. So this is really a local film that's worth supporting. And the good, best thing is, it's a good local film. Summer wind came blowing in from across the sea. It lingered there 
to touch your hair and walk with me all summer long we sang a song and then we strolled that golden sand two sweethearts and the summer wind all right it's time to move on to our west screen section so we've got two films to cover for this week um and i believe uh i'm the only one that's seen these films uh the first film we'll be covering is the last airbender now this is actually not due for release in hong kong until next month i believe on august 12th but i got the chance to see it uh, opening day back when i was in the u.s and what an unfortunate opening day it was um <laughs> i've heard in in the time that has followed uh through twitter through various film blogs and uh other forums i've heard this film called all sorts of names uh one of the people i follow uh, jj valentine on twitter i think he said it best when he called it the last fail bender um <laughs> i've heard i've heard other people call it fart uh bender you know m m night passing wind so <laughs> this is just a terrible film and you know normally i would want to wait until it was actually playing in hong kong to talk about it let kevin have a chance to see it but i am here to say please don't go see this film because you will <laughs> regret it i mean that that is simply how bad it is um if you go over to rotten tomatoes if you follow rotten to films on rotten tomatoes at all it has a score of eight percent and that is extremely low um they say i think it's like any film that's below 15 percent is considered just utterly terrible um and i went into this film that now that now to give you some background on the series um it's an it's sort of an anime cartoon series um that's released in several volumes what they call books um based on the four elements which are in the film uh, water air earth and fire and so this first film is called book one water or, or that's the section of the story that takes place um, so the assumption is, is that this film was supposed to make money and do well, and they were going to do the rest of the series. Um, whether that's going to happen or not remains to be seen. If it does, I'm hoping that uh, Mr. Shyamalan will learn from the mistakes that he made with this film and make the proper adjustments. Uh, but I have a feeling that it may end up going the way of The Golden Compass, which was another sort of film se uh, book series that did not do well and looks like you know they did the one film and because the first film did not do so well they're not going to do the sequels uh, at least that's what i've heard so to give you a little bit of an idea about the story um basically there are the four these four kingdoms the air kingdom the water kingdom the fire kingdom and the earth kingdom each based on the four elements um they've supposedly been at peace for thousands of years because of a being called the Avatar. Now, the Avatar is a being that's born once every, you know, several centuries or so, who has the power to control all four of the elements. Um, and the people who can control the elements are called benders. So people in the Water Kingdom, uh, not everybody, but some people in the Water Kingdom have the ability to, you know, uh, control water. People in the Earth Kingdom have the ability to control Earth. Um, so they're called Earthbenders, so forth and so on. 
And interestingly, in the film's perspective, I, and I haven't seen the, the, the animation, but in the film, the representation of the various kingdoms also carries some uh, ethnic connotations too. So, for example, all the people in the Earth Kingdom seem to be of Asian descent, um, East Asian descent, whereas the people in the Fire Kingdom seem to be all Indian or Middle Eastern. At least these are the actors that they've gotten to portray these roles. The people in the Water Kingdom uh, are Caucasians, and because of the narrative, there are no people from the Air Kingdom. So basically what's happened is that the Fire Kingdom, uh, when, when, right when the Avatar died, uh, when the Avatar dies, he is reincarnated, you know, sort of like the Dalai Lama. Um, and then the next incarnation of the Avatar was supposed to be uh, among the Air People, the Air Kingdom. So the Fire Kingdom attacked the Air Kingdom and wiped out all the benders um, because they didn't want the Avatar to be born. They wanted to kill the Avatar and, you know, gain power and control because the Avatar wouldn't be there to keep the kingdoms in balance. So what you have is you have sort of this, this cross between the film, the Keanu Reeves film, Little Buddha, that came out some time ago, and uh, you've got this kid who's named Ang, who they discover is the last airbender, and he is the Avatar. So he's sort of like this young Kane character from the old <laughs> Kung Fu series. Um, <clears throat> and so these two, these two youths from the Water Kingdom discover Ang, and they want to sort of help him because he's being hunted by the Fire Kingdom. And so it becomes this whole long chase. They figure they need. They find out that Ang has not been trained in the ways of the other elements um, because of something that happened in his history. So he needs to learn the ways of the other elements before he can become the true avatar. And so it becomes a whole long sort of chase and fight and escape and chase and fight and escape kind of sequence. Uh, this is a film that was done in 3D, but the 3D is completely wasted. So if you are deciding to go out and see this, save yourself, you know, um, some extra money and don't bother with the 3D version because it's just not worth it. The main problem with this film is the dialogue. It is just horrible. Um, the, the, the acting is not very good. The things that these characters are saying, the lines that are coming out of their mouths, is just terrible. And part of this problem, I think, is directly from the fact that uh, Mr. Shyamalan took it upon himself to write the screenplay. Um, I think he's got a very full plate when it comes to directing. So if you're listening, Mr. Shyamalan, and I know you're not, but please don't write. Get somebody else. Hire a professional to do your writing, to do your dialogue scripting, because you're not doing it. You're not doing it very well. Um, well, didn't 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 Shyamalan get a get a Oscar nomination for writing The Sixth Sense? Well, you know, it's uh, it's been a long time since six the since the Sixth Sense. And Alero, I have a lot of friends who are film buffs who love The Sixth Sense. I like The Sixth Sense and have felt that everything he's done since then has been, you know, a decline. Um, Unbreakable was pretty good. Then you got things like um, The Village, um, the one that I didn't see, The Lady in the Water. Uh, I, you know, my dad, my dad, you know, said he liked that one. That was okay. But other people I talked to said they felt that was terrible. Um, and this was just, yeah, this is just not a good film. Um, and the, the sad thing is, is that the, some of the visuals here, uh, are actually quite nice. 
Um, the fight choreography is okay. What it is is basically the the moves they're doing are sort of a blend of Tai Chi and some Wushu, and then they use CGI to you know bring up some elements, something you might see, for example, in like Full Metal Alchemist or something, as these you know people manipulate fire or man manipulate earth um, to go along with some of the attacks that they do. I mean, it, it, there's some nice ideas that are here that are generated, but you, you just you don't get it. You don't get into these characters because they're so wooden, and the acting is so, um, it, it's just so bad. Uh, the the main kid that they get to play, uh, the the character of Ang, um, he's a kid named Noah Ringer, and from what I read on the web, they found him through sort of a martial arts talent search, you know, competition. So the kid knows his martial arts, but he's not a trained actor. And, I, you know, it kind of shows here. Um, the, the other characters, nobody really stands out. I mean, you've got Dev Patel from Slumdog Millionaire, who's shown that he's a very solid actor. Um, he sort of plays um, uh, an anti-hero kind of role here in Prince uh, Zuko from the Fire Kingdom. But... Even a lot of the dialogue that he's being asked to, to put out here, it's just, it's just not good. Um, uh, one of my favorite guys is named uh, Azif uh, Manvi, who you may recognize from The, the Daily, Daily Show. Show. Yeah, um, he, he's, he's pretty good. Uh, the, the, but the few times that he's there, it's like he's sort of, he's sort of carrying uh, the screen. But he doesn't have a lot of screen time because he's sort of a minor character. So... And the film just sets it sets itself up for a sequel because it's only the first book, and sadly, I don't think we're going to see it. We're going to see the others because uh, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna do very well. I, I think uh, what some people might want us to uh, to cover is that the controversial casting you were mentioning earlier, how the the world in the the film is 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 separated by by ethnicity but in the original animation uh, as far as I'm, i've heard is that the main characters um are actually uh asian in the animation yeah that see i mean the i've only here. seen i've only seen pictures of the character i've seen pictures of ang and mm -hmm. he's you know so, somewhat anime-esque in style mm -hmm. you know so you could say yeah he looks like a young shaolin monk so how come here he's played by this bald Caucasian kid. Um, you know, it's it's the same kind of idea that they were going with in the, the Little Buddha film, where the Dalai Lama had been reincarnated into this, you know, young Caucasian kid in Seattle or somewhere, and they were trying to get the family to let him come back to Tibet, right? I mean, uh, if that's the way they wanted to pick the world, it's I guess that's fine. Um, it's just... Yeah, I I wasn't sure if that was the way the world was constructed in the, in the animated series or not because I I was going into this fresh, having not seen the animated series, so I was ready to just see it with a, a new pair of eyes and not have any context to say oh they did this wrong or they did that wrong, but it was just so bad that it didn't matter. <laughs> so it's just really not even worth arguing then. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, you know, that that point in and of itself is a, such a minor point in comparison with all the other badness that surrounds this film that, yeah, it's you, you don't even need to focus on that part if you want things to pick out. And guess who sighs his lullabies through nights that never end. 
fickle friend The summer wind The summer wind Warm summer wind All right, our second film that we're going to cover for our West Screen Films this week is another sequel, um, similar to the, in many ways, to the Flirting Scholar prequel that uh, Kevin was talking about earlier. Um, this is the film Predators, which is a sequel to a film that also came out, you know, just around 20 years ago. Um, the original Predator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I think was back in uh, 87, if I have my dates correct. Um, and this film stars Adrian Brody, who's doing his best to channel Bear Grylls from Man vs. Wild. And this you would consider sort of the alien world episode, and seeing how he can do his best to survive uh, being hunted by the Predator aliens. So if you've never seen a Predator film before, um, I guess the, the simplest way to say it is that there are these big armored aliens they can turn invisible, they can see in the infrared spectrum, and they really like hunting humans. Um, so this film serves as a sort of a direct sequel to the very first Predator film. Uh, it ignores the Predator 2 movie, and it ignores the Aliens versus Predator films uh, that have come out. And some would say that that's probably a good thing, uh, especially um, Aliens versus Predator 2. That was such a travesty. Um, I'm a I'm a fan of the Predator films. I really liked Predator Two, um, and I and I did like the first Alien versus Predator film. Um, you know, it wasn't great. Uh, I I had collected many of the Alien versus Predator comics from Dark Horse, so I was excited to see what was going to be done with this film. Particularly when I had heard that Robert Rodriguez was attached to it. Um, now, I was disappointed to later learn that he was not, in fact, directing it. He was simply producing it. And for the director, they brought in, I believe he's Hungarian, uh, a director named, uh, let me say this right, uh, <laughs> Nimrod Antal. Because as I look at the name, it looks like Nimrod. And that was something that we used to, me and my friends used to call each other when we were in high school. But it is, according to Wikipedia, it is pro pronounced Nimrod. So it's not Nimrod. Um, but after what I've heard some people say about the film, they may think he's a Nimrod. Um, <laughs> he's not a very experienced director. Uh, he has a couple, you know, Western, he has a couple Hollywood films under his belt, uh, including a film called Armored, in which he worked with Lawrence Fishburne, who he's again working with here. Um, but basically, it's a very simple plot. Uh, a bunch of very dangerous people, with one exception, um, get abducted. And it's sort of like a, you know, uh, standard alien encounter abduction. They see a bright light, and the next thing they know, they're in free fall, and they're being parachute dropped onto this planet, into this jungle. A jungle which looks kind of like, you know, the backwoods out at my house, except for a couple of the CG shots when they're looking up and seeing uh, multiple planets. But these characters very quickly learn that they're not in Kansas anymore, and they need to come together as a team and work together if they're going to survive, because they soon learn that they're being hunted by the Predator aliens. Um, after that, it sort of takes on a very familiar approach, 
uh, that much like that of the first film. Um, you expect that slowly they're going to get picked off one by one um, until they're down to a select few. And the big problem here is that if you've seen the first film, um, you, in the first film you had a major presence of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who you know, was known for his physicality being part of the characters that he would portray on screen. You don't really have that here in Adrian Brody. Um, so Adrian Brody's working to make up sort of his lack of physicality with attitude. Um, and while that comes across, it doesn't necessarily make him likable. And in fact, none of the characters here, you don't really care, care about any of them all that much um, because they're not a team. They're all strangers. They don't trust each other. They don't know how to work together, um, which is somewhat unlike the original Predator, where, which was a, you know, sort of a crack commando unit. Um, they knew each other, they had quirks with working with each other, and because of that, you, you sort of got more into uh, these characters and you cared about them a little bit more. Here, everyone is a little bit too cool with the circumstances as well. I mean, these people have just found out that they're on an alien planet, they've been abducted by aliens, and now they're, they're hunting and they're like, okay, you know, let, 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 let's, get her, let's get her done, you know. Um, let, let, let's figure out a way to get off this planet. I, I think at least one or two of the people might be in shock a little bit, but, you know, I guess they're expecting that since these are all professionals to some extent that they'd handle it and they just, uh, you know, sort of roll with the punches. Um, there is some expansion of the predator lore here, although I think that if you've read some of the predator lore that's been established in non-canon material per se, comic books and whatnot, um, there might be some things that you would see as uh, contradictory, but for the average viewer, you're not really going to notice all that much. Um, it does make reference back to the original film. Um, Lawrence Fishburne here has plays an interesting character, um, but he's kind of act he acts kind of wacky, and a little bit like if he had eaten both the red and the blue pill back from the Matrix film. Um, but he himself is not that likable either. So there's really nobody to uh, truly identify with, even though they do want you to sort of follow along with the Adrian Brody character. Um, and the ending of the film just kind of leaves you with this WTF moment. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of like, why you know what they're doing and why they're doing it, um, but I, it was not very satisfying, at least for me. Now... From what I've read, I think uh, you can find this on information on Wikipedia, uh, there is a Dark Horse comic series, I believe it's Dark Horse that's doing it, that is, a, I think it's a four-issue series that is going to have a prequel to this film. Uh, it's going to re be an adaptation of the film, and it's going to continue on where the film drops off. So if you're like me, and this film kind of leaves you in that WTF mode, and you need something more to take you on, um, apparently the comic books are going to have that. Now, whether that will be satisfying or not, coming out of this film experience, I can't really say, but that's, that's what I've read. Well, I, I don't think the film should rely on external media or media of other forms to make itself satisfying to its fans. Yeah, but this is, you know, this is a trend with a lot of media these days, and I agree with you. I, don't, I, I think that you know, relying on that is kind of unfair to an audience who is following a single mode. I mean, I've encountered a couple, um, 
a couple intellectual properties that have done this and done it well. Um, there, there's a there's a series Dead Space. I think we've talked about it before, which has, which tells the story in various forms. They've got a comic book, they've got two video games, they've got a third one coming out, and they also have an animated film. And each of these mediums tells a different part of the story, but each is very solid and sort of complete in and of itself. Mm -hmm. so that you can engage in any one of them and it will be a full satisfying experience to some extent um, and then if you want to engage in the others you can and it expands that experience it's not like it any of them really leave you hanging um, per se and forcing you to go to another medium to answer further questions really um, at, at least not to the extent that this film is doing now that being said i mean i this film was getting a lot of criticism. Um, I was kind of questioning whether I was going to go out and see it. I really, as I said, I really enjoy the Predator series. So uh, I saw it. It was entertaining for what it was. Um, if you liked the original, it's more of the same. It's got some updated effects and graphics. Uh, nothing spectacular. In fact, a couple of the scenes were actually disappointed. They're disappointing. There's this one really big explosion scene. And the fire just looked like they'd rendered it on a PS2 or something. I don't know. It was really, it was really bad. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, it's pretty solid. Very solid action. Um, and, and you know, it was it was an average entry. It was certainly better than the last Predator, uh, Alien versus Predator film. Not quite as good or entertaining as the original. I'm not sure if I caught this. How was um, Adrian Brody as an action hero? I mean, because I don't think. We've seen Adrian Brody in this kind yeah. of action role. Well, right? you know, again, he, he's ma he's making up for his lack of physicality, um, you know, the sort of the Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger physicality with attitude here um, and, and sort of experience as a soldier more than anything else. And it, it does work. I mean, it, he does come across as sort of a, a bad, you know, a bad guy knowing his stuff in a sense. Um, and, and I think the, the action scenes, he handles them well. Um, again, I don't, I, I wouldn't see him being the next action hero. You know, I, I wouldn't expect them to cast him in Terminator 5, you know, uh, or, or to take on, you know, a lot more action roles. But I think that he was fine, uh, in, in the way that they used him, but because they used him in a very particular way, not really a likable character. At least not as much as uh, the character that Arnold was playing in the first film. All right, I think that's going to wrap up our episode for this week. Um, we'll be back next time to talk about some other films. What are, what are we going to have next week? Uh, looks like the Fantastic Water Babies, a film that I know yeah. Kevin has been dying to talk about. And, you know, Chrissy, yeah. I need my Chrissy. And I think we'll be talking about uh, Toy Story 3 as well. That's getting an opening here in Hong Kong. Uh, Kevin, you planning to see Toy Story 3? Yes, yes, definitely. I'm a big fan of franchise, and uh, I'm trying to catch up 
on the first two films on Blu-ray. Yeah. So uh, hopefully it'll get me ready for the third film, which I expect to be crying like a baby at. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't give any spoilers out at this point. I've actually seen the film uh, stateside, um, but I'm planning to see it again this weekend. So we'll be back to talk about those two. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with news and events and things that are going on, um, you can always find us over at the website, www.concast.com. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter. You can follow my Twitter account from the website. And if you'd like to f keep in touch with the Golden Rock, you can find him at, what, what is it again, Kevin? It will be www.twitter.com slash the golden the golden rock in one word the golden rock the golden rock in one word and in 140 characters you can keep up with all of his daily musings and occasional rants as mr twister for all other things uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us you can send us email through the website if you'd like to send us a question as an audio file, you can do do the same. We'd be happy to discuss your questions uh, or your comments here on the show or play any audio files that you'd like to send us. So until next time, uh, we will wish you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. And here's some here's a message from the sponsor that we wish we had, you know, with some my soda pop. <laughs> <laughs> Which sponsor are you aiming for? Water or the soda type or the water type or the Bubbly. alcohol? Bubbly. Something, Bubbly type. Something sweet and carbonated. And and yeah, it has a great performance by Gong Lee. And of course Steven Chow is great always. Shit. Sorry, one second. Sorry about that. That's all right. Let me put this on silent. I meant to do it.